welcome to the first ever live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton, who's coming to us from lovely Port St. Lucie, Florida. Tim, how's it going? It's it's kind of scary to do this live, Ted. Uh, I don't think people realize how many mistakes we make in a usual taped episode, yeah. uh, and you know how many. Whew, some some bleak footage that we've had to edit out. That, uh, uh, my, we'll have to try my, to, to control ourselves this time. My many Bill O'Reilly on-air uh, meltdowns uh, <laughs> are all going to be public now. This will last like two weeks at most. But <laughs> if I can control myself, and uh, I think I, I might be able to do that. We, we we're hoping to do this actually pretty regularly throughout the season. Um, and there's a, there's a bunch of fun things we can do on this format. We can especially uh, invite people in on stage. So we're not gonna, I'm just not going to uh, read emails with questions or tweets with questions. You can actually come on the show and ask us a question, uh, um, an incomparable honor, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, to be able to do it in person rather than to ask Tedberg at gmail.com. It just feels so different. Uh, but you are still welcome if you are uh, podcast shy or speaker shy. I don't know what the word for camera shy when there's no camera would be. If you're that, uh, feel free to email askdedberg at gmail.com. I, I do like reading the questions, too. Sometimes you've got something so thoughtful you don't really want to try to put it into spoken words. And, and we welcome those questions uh, and your tweets, of course. But we should talk about the Mets. And there's a lot going on, um, especially, and I'm saying this, uh, not believing it. I'm saying this knocking on wood. I'm saying this knowing that just saying these words out loud will uh, change the fate of this team forever, and I will be the one who has done it, much like I ruined Eddie Kunz's career once upon a time. Uh, everyone is healthy. There's the only person slated for the Mets major league uh, disabled list to start the season is Joey Lucchese, a guy we all, we all knew would be out. Um, seen Carrasco pitching games, Ty Walker is pitching in games, DeGrom, Knockwood, this is like a second Knockwood, I'm knocking the wood with my fingers crossed and my toes crossed, but Jacob DeGrom is healthy, I feel like, is this too good to be true, Tim? I mean, it is It is March 31st, we are uh, one week away from the, the, end, the start of the regular season and, and opening day in Washington, uh, and I think the only one, you know, I, I have my list of like who's day-to-day in camp and the only person currently still day to day is is jake reed uh who you know a a reliever who uh might have had a chance of making the team had he been healthy but not you know not edwin diaz not uh not jake degrom certainly uh not an everyday player for them uh so you know the the goal in spring training i think buckshaw walter said earlier in spring training the healthiest team is all season is is the first day of spring training uh and the mets are close to that state uh with with only a week of it left uh which is pretty remarkable considering just how different this spring training is that it is uh this compressed schedule that pitchers have gone deeper into games than i expected at least at the initial start of spring training you know you've had max scherzer get up to 90 pitches in six innings already you've got uh you know carlos carrasco who who seemed like he was a little bit behind people at the start of spring he's up to to four innings and, and, and 46 pitches last night. Uh, although I think he, he went to he went to the bullpen and threw 15 more last night. He, he said he could have gone to another inning, but they didn't want to have him get up and down a fifth time. So, uh, you know, that they're in a really good spot physically, knock on wood, of course. Uh, and we'll see kind of how the last, uh, I'm trying to think how many games they've got left. Uh, five games left in spring training, I think. 
uh, before they, they head north to, to Washington, uh, how they go, how they get through them. And, you know, it's one more start for, for DeGrom. It's one more start uh, for Scherzer uh, on a backfield, actually, a sim game for him. One more start, really, for, for each guy through that rotation. Uh, and, and then, you know, you break camp ready to go, hopefully with uh, your best 28 and not having to, well, not having to worry about uh, putting guys on the, the IL to start the year. Yeah, Mets injuries tend to rope-a-dope you, you know, like they will, like, I feel like this is, this, to me, um, the pessimist and fatalist, it's just like, oh, they are just setting me up for the most disappointment of all time, and there's going to be like three straight days of horrible news next week, but uh, ideally, that doesn't happen, and maybe it's a new era, right, it's the dawn of a new day, uh, where the Mets have one of the biggest payrolls in baseball, I think it was second largest entering opening day behind the Dodgers, is that right? Uh, you know, I haven't seen where LA's is currently. Uh, so, you know, I, I know they're they're one and two in some order. Uh, but I put it, you on the spot. I put you on the spot. We're just going to say we're just going to go ahead and assume second largest behind behind the Dodgers. But again, and something we discussed uh, quite a bit uh, entering uh, spring at uh, the beginning of spring training and, and in our, our one off season show, um, it felt like. It felt like the Mets weren't going to be done after the flurry of moves uh, that they made just before the lockout. Now, they added they added Chris Bassett. They added a starting pitcher, which they very much needed after that. They didn't do much to the bullpen after that, which we expected they would. And what seemed like a uh, position player logjam that would need to be cleared up now seems like a picture of the Mets opening day roster. And so some of these guys that we saw, I think, as potential trade bait, as guys who might be on the fence for for playing time, uh, Jeff McNeil especially, seems like he's going to be a regular starter for the Mets. You had a nice piece about McNeil and, and his attempt to bounce back from a rough season uh, last season in, at the Athletic today. Um, and then I guess the other sort of, a, it's like a, the flip side of the McNeil coin uh, I don't know if that's the flip side of the coin or just it, it does feel related. It seems like Robinson Cano is going to make the team. Yeah, I mean, there was there's really been no drama about that specifically. I think that, you know, you can imagine the, the you know, the different storylines that could have been ongoing uh, throughout spring training. Uh, that that would have been at the top of the list. But really, right out of the gates, uh, Buck Showalter said that Robinson Cano was going to make the team. Uh, there, you know, there, he hasn't left open the opportunity that he wouldn't uh you know i think it was the the second or third day of spring training where he's he's like you know i was just joking with guys on the backfield you know while they're doing their work you know escobar you're gonna make the team robbie you're gonna make the team <laughs> and it was like oh that's that's kind of newsworthy yeah that um, is news with, yeah. with cano and you know I, I think it's been interesting where you know when cano has been in the spring training lineup he's been hitting fifth uh you know right behind pete alonzo which is not where i would have expected him to slot in and he's had you know he hasn't put up huge numbers in spring. It's 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 always uh, you never know how much to read into spring training stats. Uh, that's, that's kind of what you the story. Is. I don't think Robinson Cano will be the opening day designated hitter. I think they're going up against Patrick Corbin. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I'm interested in seeing how they divvy out that DH time early in the season, um, and whether we see Cano in there more often than not against right-handed hit right-handed pitchers. You also have Dominic Smith for that spot. You know, J.D. Davis had a, a better OPS against righties uh, last year than Smith did. They were both kind of weirdly reverse split guys, uh, even though that goes against their career track records. Uh, and really, you look at the last three years, Davis has been, while he's better against lefties than righties, he's also been better against righties than Smith. So maybe uh, J.D. is, is kind of the, the go-to guy at D.H. Uh, while you cycle other guys through it from time to time. 
Yeah, and I think, and it's it's something I think Buck Showalter has alluded to a little bit this spring. Andy Martino had a piece about it for S and Y. It feels like there will be some fluidity to how the Mets uh, arrange their defense and especially their their batting order this season. Yeah, we, we've seen in, in spring training the, the, the last couple of days, especially now that they've got Starling Marte back, uh, they've kind of used the, the lineup has kind of been Nimmo, Marte, Lindor at the top, Alonzo fourth. I think I think that top four is is how Showalter is leaning. Uh, and I think you'll probably see that top four on a re- on a relatively consistent basis early in the season. It's the bottom five that they can kind of mix and match as much as they want, you know, starting with with the DH. They've had those guys hitting fifth or they had Cano hitting fifth when he's been in the lineup. Uh, to give that left that left right left balance in the middle of the order, uh, followed by by Escobar the switch hitter, uh, and then you know the bottom of the order you'll have you know McNeil, Canna, and McCann. Showalter dropped that you know he kind of likes the idea of a guy who can work the count hitting ninth uh, to kind mm-hmm. of roll the lineup over. Uh, that might be Canna as a guy uh, who you know has hit you know you think of stereotypically. Of the lead, of the ninth hitter as your second leadoff guy, Cam is a guy right. who hit leadoff for Oakland last year. It's a guy who gets on base, works the count, steals some bases more than you, you generally expect from him. Uh, I think he stole a dozen last year, uh, so you know could fit in that spot uh, in a way that we we might not have thought uh, going in. But I mean, I, I it's think... so it's so unusual as a National League fan to even like wrap your head around the idea that the ninth hitter is a that the ninth hitter is a position player or a DH and not because the pitcher is at it hitting eight. Right. <laughs> that, you, you know, it's, this isn't the uh, Jacob deGrom is hitting ahead of Ahmed Rosario situation that we had uh, in 2018 uh, where you're rolling the lineup over that way. And, you know, I, I think there's other small benefits to it. Like, you know, for James McCann last year, it was really difficult to learn how to hit eighth. Hitting eighth in front of the pitcher is a, is complicated for a normal baseball player mm-hmm. uh, who's not used to it. McCann wasn't used to it, uh, and he got pitched differently than he, he than he expected. It took him a while to adjust. He did hit better when he wasn't hitting eighth. Uh, you know, he had a stint hitting third in the middle of the season where he, where he, he did pretty well. Uh, so I think, you know, he's one of the guys that might benefit from uh, the American League lineup that the Mets are going to be able to have this year. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of logic to having a guy like Canna hitting ninth. It's if, if he can handle it, like, I know, I think it's a little bit of a, you, you need to swallow your ego a little bit for that role. Canna uh, seems like a guy who can probably do that. He seems like a, a smart dude and a reasonable guy. Um, not that anybody couldn't do it. You're playing in the major leagues, but um, you know you got to be able to to be cool about it for sure and not not let it get to your head, put extra pressure on yourself. But um, I, the the way I always understood it, even when you know uh, Tony Larusa took to batting it was La Russa who started doing it first right batting the pitchers eighth with the Cardinals yeah the logic behind it was um was not necessarily the main logic behind it as far as I understood was that batting a better hitter ninth more often brought up your best hitters with runners on base right because uh your your best hitters are are batting one two three and four um after the first inning it means that you know many or most of the times they're coming up, they're coming up with, with one out because the, the pitcher has been, has been up before that, that run of guys uh, batting a guy who can get on base a lot more ninth means that there will be more men on base for uh, Brandon Nimmo, who is a the type of leadoff hitter who can drive in some runs and, and Starling Marte who has some power and Pete Alonso who has, you know, the most power. So I like that thinking for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, it was to get guys, guys on base for McGuire who was hitting third. 
so you know the I think usually uh, this time of year I write a, of how should they configure the lineup story. I don't think there are as many uh, interesting questions at the top of the order this year uh, as there have been in the past. I think it's relatively set up there. You know, you can go back and forth whether you should it be uh, Nimo Marte Lindor, Nimo Lindor Marte. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a huge difference either way. Uh, and it seems like you know Marte and Lindor are both guys who have have hit in in both of those second and third spots. Uh, and also, there's just not as much time this spring training to write that. You know, you don't have to fill as much space with stories like that because uh, it's only three and a half weeks long uh, and not the usual six and a half. So uh, let, let's go to Ed B first. He, he was first in line. All right. Ed B, welcome aboard. Uh, yes, uh, good morning, gentlemen, and thank you very much for doing this. I would like to ask you how much credence you give to traveling. I'm of the age where, I mean, I've been rooting for the Mets since their inception, where a third of their games was beyond uh, the Eastern time zone. And now anywhere from... 120 to almost 130 games are on the East Coast. This year we have one big trip out to California where we're actually playing three teams and are playing nine games in California. How much credence do you give to teams that have to travel um, over the six-month span? And what kind of wear and tear does that give to players? With the understanding they also have a few more off days now built into the schedule. Yeah, so I think that, thanks for the question, Ed. I think it's a really interesting concept that players who don't play uh, in a big market on either coast when they start that uh, it's really jarring at first. Uh, uh, I remember when I covered the Red Sox, uh, Rick Porcello in Boston, and you know when he went from Detroit to Boston, uh, it was an adjustment that you're not that you know you have to fly you have to have a six hour flight across the country you don't have to do that when you play in the middle of the country uh the same with trevor may when he went from the twins to the mets last year uh he mentioned at one point that the travel was was different in a way he didn't expect and you know when you play for the mets or red sox or yankees or phillies you generally don't get the same number of getaway day games those you know teams don't play getaway day games as much uh they, they like to play week weekend weekday night games uh, that make travel more difficult. You're on Sunday night baseball more. Players despise Sunday night baseball. Um, so yeah. uh, it, it cuts your travel. It, it means, you know, like the Mets had the situation last year where they played the Dodgers at home on Sunday night baseball, and then they played Monday night in San Francisco against the Giants. Uh, that's a really tough turnaround, really difficult one uh, for, for anyone on the team. So they, they don't like that. I think it'll be interesting to see what the, um, you know, th- this year the Mets played. Uh, the AL West in uh, interleague. So they do have a, a few more trips out West than usual. They've got, uh, I think it's St. Louis and Arizona uh, in the late April. They've got another trip that's uh, Colorado and San Francisco in late May. They've got the three city uh, Southern California trip. You mentioned it's Dodgers, Padres, Angels at the start of June. And then uh, the, the team already dis- dislikes the idea. They're going to Milwaukee and Oakland the second to last week of the season. Uh, so they're going to have to make, I think that's four different trips out to the, the Pacific time zone. Uh, that's more than usual <laughs> for, for the Mets. So that's something to, to factor into this year. I mean, the other teams in the NL East have to go through that too. But, you know, when we're talking about three wild cards, some other teams don't have that specific travel issue this year. Uh, next year, we'll have a more balanced schedule. Uh, I, I should probably do the math. That probably means more games <laughs> out West for the Mets. Cause they're gonna be playing it does. That's correct. Run. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that impacts, uh, impacts teams on each coast. You know, the Mariners are always the team that have to travel the most uh, because of where they're, they're located in Seattle. 
but th- I think that is one of the the kind of undercurrents that we don't talk about enough uh, as a team goes through the season and, and has that wear and tear. Yeah, I would say, I mean, uh, you know, in the flip side of things, and you just mentioned the Mariners, if, if you look up like the total mileage that teams travel over the course of the year, uh, it's pretty favorable to teams from the Northeast because if you're the Mets, you're playing, uh, you're playing three games in Yankee Stadium for one thing, you're playing the Phillies, you're playing the Nationals. Uh, those are, you know, train trips or, or bus trips or whatever. Um, and a team like the Mariners is so geographically isolated that they wind up doing a ton more traffic. Uh, talking about traveling, uh, the, the Rockies, that's the case for as well. Um, I think that, like the travel is definitely something we don't think about enough when we think about how exhausting it must be to be a major league baseball player. But if you talk to practically any player and ask them like, okay, what is the thing that fans don't realize about the sport? They will always tell you it's the grind. Like it's just how difficult it is to play, to get yourself, not just to play the games, right. But to keep yourself in shape, to do all the work you need to do behind the scenes to, to, um, to get yourself to the ballpark, 162 times in 189 days or however many it's going to be this year is like the the hardest part of major league baseball and probably the the part that's that's least frequently discussed they play so 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 many games uh and do so much traveling like i think uh it's going to be exhausting for the mets but it's going to be exhausting for the 29 other teams too yeah i did a story in in 2016 or 2017 when i was covering boston about the number of times that they had to play a game uh, within 24 hours in a different time zone or in a different city. And it was like they had to do it 14 times over the course of the season. And a team like uh, the Brewers had to do it twice. You know, that's those kinds of things that kind of add up. Uh, Thanks for the question, Ed. We, we, we kick you off stage now, unfortunately. Um, But but appreciate, appreciate it. My pleasure. And congrats on being the first ever live caller on the Metrospective podcast. Uh, let's go to Ian N. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we got you, Ian. Yes. Wow. Honored to be on. I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, some of you may know me as Clay Davis uh, as well. <laughs> Aha. It is an honor to be talking to you all. Um, I come as prepared as I can be in short notice. So um, two questions I would get, uh, ask uh, Tim. One would be, what are the, the standout differences that you notice in your short time down there in spring training with Buck Showalter? And um, a next question would be kind of uh, for you to chime in on two players, uh, two questions, really. Which pitcher will make more starts for the Mets this year, uh, Tyler McGill or Carlos Carrasco? And the second would be, uh, which outfielder will be more valuable or play more games for the Mets this year, Brandon Nemo or Starling Marte? And I will leave you with that. Thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, so the, the differences between Showalter and, and a, a Luis Rojas camp or a, a Mickey Calloway camp, um, it, it's been difficult to juxtapose like side by side because this is a, such a different uh, time frame for spring training. Uh, and, and because, frankly, <laughs> like Luis Rojas never had a normal spring training. Um, you know, this one doesn't feel, uh, you know, in, you're kind of used to the, the general progression of a spring training where it's, uh, the first couple of weeks, you have all the, the drills on the field or sorry, the first 10 days or so you have all the drills on the field. Uh, you hear what the points of emphasis are uh, from the manager. You see them in action uh, and then you get into the games and you team slowly forgets all the points of emphasis. Um, this year, they've kind of, you know, the, that drill period wasn't 10 days. It was like two days. Uh, and then they went right into games. Um, so, you know, the, the points that the Mets are trying to emphasize, which is basically all the little things, um, you know, in the, in the past, it's been defense and base running. Uh, they've tried to, to 
emphasize those things by just getting players who are better at those things this year. You know, a guy like Starling Marte, uh, especially in right field, seems like he can be a weapon for the Mets defensively. And then, of course, on the base pass, you, you see that uh, that's been one of the most fun things to watch over the just the last couple of days is Marte on the bases. Uh, he's stolen a couple bases, both times where it looked like he was going to be out. <laughs> um, and then just kind of jumps those last couple feet to be safe. Uh, you can see the pressure he puts on a defense when he's on first base, when he's on second base, uh, the way he goes first to third. Uh, you know, you can see that they're going to be a better defensive and base running team than, than we're used to, uh, and certainly dating back a few years. Uh, you know, talking to players, uh, they'll mention that, you know, in their meetings, Showalter has gone over kind of minutia of rules that, uh, that players are like, you know, I, I was talking to J.D. Davis about, you know, like when there's when you get a guy in a rundown and two guys are standing on the same base, like which one do you tag? Uh, no one ever like, knows. No one ever knows. You just tag them both because you don't know. Right. And and he, he's saying, uh, you know, that uh, that he, he's like, I was pretty sure what the rule was. But then, you know, I wasn't totally sure. <laughs> so uh, you go through it. Um, and I believe it is that you tag the guy who uh, you tag the guy. Uh, who ran back to the base, which automatically makes the other guy out or something. Uh, you know, see, I, I, we exp- he explained it to me, and I already forget. Um, but that's the type of thing that Showalter has gone over uh, with the team so that they're prepared for those situations, uh, you know, and for every little thing that can happen in the game. There, there is such a thing as over-preparation. Uh, I remember Bobby Valentine having the pitchers do a bunt drill on the first day of spring training in 2012 for an American League team with the Red Sox. That seemed weird and for show and eyewash. Uh, this doesn't seem that way so far. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I always think about uh, in in terms of knowing the rules, um, and it's a game I bring up a lot just because it's one of the best baseball games I've ever seen. The uh, the Blue Jays, the the famous bat flip Jose Bautista game, uh, which of course was was all that more all the much more dramatic uh, because the inning before the Jose Bautista bat flip, you may recall uh, Russell Martin playing catcher on a return throw, shanked the ball off the end of the knob of Shin Su Chu's bat. Um, and sent it like, and it went bouncing into the infield. Runet Odor, who was on third base, I, it, it, I had, I've seen thousands of baseball games and never seen that happen before. And as the moment it happened, Odor took off. Like he knew, he knew. He, I don't know if it's just like, oh, my instinct is a loose ball, I run, you know, or if it's just like he absolutely knew that that was the rule. But in either case, like. I think that it feels to me like 90% of people would just stand there confused, like having no no clue what the rule was on that. Odor had the presence of mind to get home, and that was what 
uh, tied the game, or I forget what the exact situation was, but uh, set up that that crazy bat flip home run. Okay, and the other two questions we've got uh, Carrasco v. McGill uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, of number of starts. Um, you know, Carrasco has looked healthy at least, uh, but I, I, I would say you know he looked crisp crisper last night uh in his his first grapefruit league start he'd be he pitched on the backfields prior uh but you know i'd still be concerned that he threw 46 pitches i think he got three swings and misses um from the uh from the astros lineup uh so i you know M- mcgill has looked has looked good uh i'd probably go with mcgill making a few more starts uh just because uh he's, he's younger and fresher uh, and you can imagine carrasco spending missing some time here and there with with nagging injuries uh you know pitcher health is and, and the fact that you know even if carrasco is not on the il mcgill is the guy the next man up for mm-hmm. uh any any fill-in spot so you know if he he may very well end up making 20 starts, 25 starts uh, as a like not a regular member of the rotation. I mean, kind of the way he did last year, uh, the way he comes up in, in late June and then is a, a member of the rotation the rest of the way in a way they didn't expect right away. Uh, so I, I think, you know, they, they feel pretty confident about what he's been able to do, probably more so for him than than David Peterson, even uh, as the, the kind of sixth starter. Uh, I don't know that he'll be on the roster on opening day. That kind of depends on, on how they feel about how Carrasco and Walker are stretched out, whether they need to be piggybacked, both of them, or, or only one. If it's only one, they might be able to do that with Trevor Williams, who'll be uh, in the bullpen. But uh, I think part of the reason they feel good about their rotation, the rotation depth, is that McGill is the next man up in it, mm-hmm. uh, should someone hit the IL. I, I think McGill will make more starts than Carrasco because of a point you made, which is that uh, he's the fill-in for all of the guys. So even if Carrasco stays relatively healthy, I don't know that you can really expect him to make 30 starts. Um, and it feels to me like you just need the sixth man on your starting depth chart. Uh, if he's healthy, like that guy could very well wind up in the rotation for the whole season, like you said. Yeah, and Marte versus Nimmo, uh, I, I think the question was, was who's, is it, who's playing more games or who's going to like be more productive, Ian? Um. I would say who who will play more games. Right? They they're both you know have a tendency to be injury prone. Obviously, Nimmo is uh, in a walk year, so it's a, it's a huge year for him. Um, and I think the outfield, as much as it is better, I think it is also a question mark at the same time. So let's just go with uh, who who starts more games for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think while I try to decide on this and do some research on how, on how many games these guys have missed, uh, I, I'd probably say Marte, just looking at his, his career track record, he has generally stayed healthy. I know he missed uh, about a quarter of last season, uh, in my, you know, especially in Miami early in the season. I think he had a, a, a rib or oblique injury. Um, uh, other than that, he's been relatively healthy playing, you know, 100 30 plus games uh, over the course of his career. I, I do think that the outfield depth, um, considering that the fourth outfielder is probably the starting second baseman, Jeff McNeil, uh, and the fifth outfielder is, is probably Dominic Smith. Uh, and then you get into Travis Jankowski, um, who, who may or may not be on the opening day roster, depending on how many pitchers they want to carry. Uh, so I, I think that is a question mark. If, if Nimmo has to miss time, you know, you feel good that you have a backup center fielder if, <laughs> like, like Marte to, to slide over there. Uh, but then your outfield defense is weakened. If it's, if it's McNeil in, in a corner, if it's Smith in a corner, uh, it doesn't feel quite as, as robust as, as it, you know, it's, it's not a strength the way it feels like it might be when it's Canna, Nimmo, Marte. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it, the, the way they've they've structured the roster, they want to have that that flexibility. And and McNeil, 
is, is going to be an interesting piece of that if they do have a, injuries in the outfield. And whether it's Cano, who slides to second base, or, or last night in the spring training game, they had uh, Eduardo Escobar at second base and J.D. Davis at third. Uh, so I, I think one of the concerns is if there is an, an injury to any of the regulars, the defense might take a bigger step back from the offense because of what they'll have to shift around. Uh, Tim, I have uh, I have no answer better than that, but I have big news, which is that I do now appear to have figured out the uh, the controls here. So uh, can I do the honors of removing Ian from the stage? Oh yeah, go for it. Please right. no, don't don't let me go. All right, love you guys. Sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, Ian has been removed from the stage, and we have um, Benjamin H is waiting to speak with us. Can I can I let him in, Tim? Yeah, go for, go for that, too. All right. is... I feel so much power. All right. Uh, Benjamin H., welcome hey to guys. the stage. What's going on? Not much. Um, so this is a Michael Conforto question for you guys. Um, any other year, I would say this is absolutely crazy because the Mets have Nimmo, Marte, Conha. This is one of their best outfields in forever. But you have Steve Cohen, who is already over the Steve Cohen tax rate. It's probably just a one-year deal, so you don't have to worry about the money carrying over. And you have a DH. So you could technically, like, you could have Conforto as your DH or Canada as your DH or cycle through Marte and Nimmo and keep them healthy. Like, is there, do you think there's any world in which a Michael Conforto reunion could happen? Especially given all the news yesterday about injury and whatnot. Um, I mean, I would say, and I, I said this, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I think it makes a whole lot of sense for the Mets. Uh, Tim Tim might say more on that. I think what what doesn't add up for me is how it makes sense for Michael Conforto because I have to figure if he's willing to sign a one-year deal somewhere, uh, which he might have to at this point, there's going to be a team out there with a better offensive environment uh, and more playing time available for him to build up his value again. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I would say it's March 31st, and he, he still hasn't found that better team, whether it's mm-hmm. because he's looking for a multi-year deal. Uh, you know, I think uh, a team like, like the Mets, I think, have reached a point where it, it's too late to consider something like that. Uh, even if it does kind of make sense for them, I think, you know, they, they like the idea of moving guys through that DH spot and not having it for a set outfielder every day. Uh, I, we can debate whether that is is the right way to think about it. I, I think they probably would have benefited from having one more bat in there, uh, you know, where you're not counting on Cano uh, to be the kind of presence that it seems like they're, they're counting on him to be to, to bring some value uh, on the roster uh, in a way that, you, you know, you wouldn't have been able to carry Robinson Cano like this if there were no DH. Um, so it's just it is wild to me that we're a week away from opening day and and Conforto hasn't signed anywhere and this isn't like uh, the, those early qualifying offer guys where the draft was two months away uh, and you could sign after that like uh, was that Kendry Morales and uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Drew uh, yeah. so to get away from the draft pick compensation the 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 story last night about the injury seems I mean I don't want to I don't want to be too cynical on it. Uh, it does seem a little bit like a damage control kind of thing from the, the yeah. forest camp. Like, why would you? I just it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, well, you know, oh, so like on good faith, we're just like so nice about this that we weren't going to tell anyone. We were just going to wait until he was healthy to actually start negotiating. I, I don't know. Was it like unless there's a it was a worse injury than they're making it sound, and and it was like oh he's never going to pass a physical. 
Um, but otherwise, it doesn't it doesn't line up to me that like, oh, well, we didn't do we didn't bother negotiating because he was recovering from this somewhat minor injury. Yeah. You know, we see teams negotiate with guys who have had Tommy John surgery, who are injured all the time uh, and coming back from something. Uh, so that it, it's it would be unusual to completely stall uh, your negotiate your contract negotiations over an injury uh, like this this deep into you know until there's you know seven to ten days left in spring training. Uh, so uh, you know I don't I don't know that it's going to work out. I, I don't expect it to, to work out with the Mets, but I, I really don't know what the next step is for for Conforto. Uh, and you know you can imagine uh, getting into and having such a late start that can really throw you off for the entire season. It, it I think if if I remember correctly, I think that happened with Morales and Drew uh, that it was such a weird year for them not being in a regular spring training or, or having a, a, the normal six month go at it. Uh, that I, really threw off their production. Together, weren't they practicing together for a while at like the Scott Boris camp or whatever? It was like just like these two sad free agents who couldn't <laughs> find teams. I, I know they were working out somewhere. I don't. I don't know. If, I assume I maybe just it was together. It as like. Stephen Drew is pitching batting practice to Kendris Morales and then vice versa. Like there's only two guys on the field and like they got to do it. So like Morales wants to do some work on some first base defense, like Stephen Drew's hitting the fungos. <laughs> I think they probably had more people there, but it, it is fun to think of it that way. Like, like me and my brother are practicing in the yard. Right. Uh, it didn't know, work out for them. It didn't yeah, work like out it, for them it, it, you know, they, they didn't have the kind of years they wanted to have. And if you're Conforto and you're trying to use this as a, a platform year, uh, that, that would that would worry you, I think. Yeah, uh, we have uh, Benjamin. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, I Thanks, will guys. remove you from the stage now. I feel so mean. I want to just let everybody up on stage. It'll be like a P-Funk show. We'll have like 70 people on stage uh, having a party here. Uh, Tim, we have two more people waiting in the audience. Should we take two more questions and then and then call it a day? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Uh, first is going to be from Lee B, who is entering the stage now. Lee, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks. Um, I was just wondering, given they're willing to exhaust all options before dropping Cano and his money, and JD gave all these verbal hints that he's the the first man out, um, if he struggles in the first couple of months and Vientos or even Blake and Horn, but more so Vientos does well or rakes and triple A, do they bring him up and move on from JD or do they keep him to play with uh, versatility as they say? Yeah, I, I think it, you know, it, it comes down to like, they've got the, those three guys. It, it's Cano, Davis Smith. And uh, I think, every decision on, on one of those guys uh, is impacted by how the other two are doing at, at any given time. You know, if, if Dom Smith carries over the way he's hitting in spring training uh, and he's starting to play pretty regularly, whether it's as the DH or as the first baseman with Alonzo DHing like they did a bunch in 2020, then Cano becomes a bit more expendable. Right. Uh, and uh, Davis has the fortune of being the right-handed part of that group. Uh, and the guy who had the best offensive season last year uh, and a guy who, you know, you can say, now that his hand is healthy, uh, it looks like he could have a better offensive season this year. A guy who really seems fit for that DH role in particular. Uh, but then again, Vientos fits that, that, that same mold as well. Uh, and if he's raking in Syracuse, if you feel really good about him coming up and taking on that spot, uh, then and there's someone else who's willing to, to trade you something of value, whether it's major league piece or minor league piece for J.D. Davis, uh, you can consider that. I, I don't think they would get to that point with Davis until we're in the summer and you're starting to think about the trade deadline. 
you know, whether uh, they used him the way, you know, the 06 Mets used Xavier Nady or something like that as a, a trade deadline piece. Um, and, and you have Vientos coming up behind him. Uh, when we talk about like spring training storylines that could have been in a longer spring training. Like it would have been really interesting if we had six weeks here and Mark Vientos hit 400 or something. Uh, and you can make a case, should this guy be a part of, of the plans right away? Instead, he'll go to Syracuse where it's very cold, uh, where it's difficult to hit home runs in April and May. Uh, and he probably will be sitting on like four home runs at the start of uh, in the middle of May. And everyone will be asking what's up with his power. Uh, so I, I want everyone to be patient with that at least. Uh, and then so much for me being fatalist. <laughs> and then with with Cano, uh, you know, I think they have to be pretty quick with him if it's not working out. You know, if we get to, you know, that that was the issue like in 2018, you know, and, and with with the Wilpon Mets broad, more broadly speaking, it was like it is fine to give Adrian Gonzalez a shot at first base, but you've got to know. When, when he got off to the start, he did like he wasn't coming around. Um, and I think they waited until into June to move on from him. Uh, the comparison I've made with Cano is the way uh, the 2018 Red Sox were with Hanley Ramirez, where, you know, they gave him a shot for the first month uh, as a pretty, pretty regular player. But once he became uh, a detriment to their roster flexibility, when, once it became more difficult to carry him and, and find a, a regular role for him, they moved on right away. Uh, and I think, that's the kind of approach the Mets probably need to take with Cano is if it's not working out, if he's, if he's sitting there with, with one extra base hit at the, the end of April, uh, that, that they have to move on from him probably and find some way to get more roster flexibility in there where their bench is a bit better. Can I make just a, a counterpoint example from history? And I think you're absolutely right. I just want to point out, uh, because you mentioned Adrian Gonzalez is a, a really, really, really good hitter. I mean, Robinson Cano, Again, we don't know, you know, how long he was using PEDs. We don't know the extent to which they helped him. Uh, there's a lot of things we don't know about Cano. He's he's been he's been out for a full season. Uh, he was real good in the in the shortened year in 2020. He was not so good in 2019. Um, he was very very good in 2018 as well. Uh, on April 30th of 2008. Carlos Delgado was hitting 198 with a 620 OPS, and that was a time when it seemed like, and he had he had not had a great season in 27 in 2007, um, and I remember it, it very much seemed like it was time for the Mets to move on from Delgado, and and Delgado turned around and from May the start of May on uh, posted a 919 OPS with 35 home runs. Like sometimes a guy who can hit, it just maybe needs a little time and, and a little bit of a leash. Yeah, I had forgotten about that one. So because that was the 2008 was the year he had like the nine RBI game at Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah, yeah, and that was like his his that was like when he was turning it around. Yeah, so I mean, by that point he by that point he had already started to come around, but I think that it wasn't so obvious yet because it was the middle of June, and so like the numbers hadn't gotten there. <laughs> yeah, that was he was 36 that year. Cano was 39. Uh, yeah, Cano missed last year. I, I think. You know, they're they're different examples. Oh, for, yeah. I mean, it's different. I'm just pointing out, like, Hall of Fame caliber hitter. Sometimes, like, they can they can figure it out even when it doesn't seem like they have. True. Uh, it's really too bad that Delgado just kind of like he got hurt the next year. Uh, and then that was it. Like he was he tried a couple mm-hmm. comebacks, but, but wasn't able to make it. Uh, yeah, uh, Lee, that was a, a excellent question. I would say also, um, if these guys are all hitting and Fientos is mashing in AAA, like, that's a good problem and the type of thing that tends to work itself out. There's, there's no time when 
the the 26-man roster staying healthy for the whole season is obviously a, a pipe dream. That'll never happen. If Mark Vientos forces the forces the issue, there'll be a way to get him his bat in the line. Right, Tim. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Lee. Tim, have, have we lost you? No, no, I'm still here. So, and I'll bring up our, our our last yeah. question here from from Jan. Sorry, what? I dropped in like a very hard Long Island lost there for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. That that yeah. should have been used more on the show. Lost. Have we lost you? <laughs> uh, let, let's bring on Yanni M for our last question. Yanni. Hey, yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Ted. Um, I wanted to ask a question. It's kind of piggybacking off of what you were just uh, discussing. You know, if if you're if you're being hopeful, and if all your cards fall into all your pieces fall into place in the season, um, and everybody stays healthy, you know, we have this luxury now as Mets fans that we weren't used to before, where you have J.D. Davis, where you have Dom Smith, where you have Robbie Cano. If all of them are playing up to their full potential or close to it, none of these guys are bench players. And I think that that's just like a conundrum that we Mets fans are like, oh, we have to trade one of these guys or we have to trade somebody. Uh, but you look at really successful teams and we can just put the Dodgers at the top of that pedestal there. And it's like you have a, such a deep roster. But what is really you know, fascinating to me is how these guys who play the full season on the roster – and they only get like 450 plate appearances because they're, you know, being rotated in and out of the lineup. They're still able to stay fresh and put up really great numbers and basically be an effective slot in alternative starter or whatever. And I'm not worried about the creativity of, you know, shuffling these guys around with the DH now and with the different positions. But I am worried about like, how do we ensure, like, what is what what goes into the makeup of a team or the mentality of the players or the coaches or the manager or whatever it is that ensures that if you have a really talented hitter like Davis or Smith, if they're only going to get 450, 500 plate appearances in a full season, how do we make the most out of that? And we're not, uh, you know, they're not underperforming due to lack of reps or whatever it is. Yeah, and basically, like how to keep them happy in that instance if they are performing. Yeah, you know, I, I think the number one thing is the team is winning. You know, like it's you know the Dodgers have situations. You know, like Gavin Lux is now no longer a starter for them because they signed Freddie Freeman. Uh, and you know, you would think someone in Gavin Lux's position understands that Freddie Freeman is a better player than him. That, that Max Muncy is a better player than him uh, now playing second base for them. Uh, but. And that's like because the Dodgers win this way that, uh, you know, he might be personally unhappy about it. I don't know. I have not I've not read those stories, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's good for the broader project of the team. Uh, and I think, you know, especially with guys like Davis and Smith, uh, who are it's, it's not like they're in walk years trying to perform in front of their free agency. I think that can get guys, you know, when, when you're in that position, it's a little bit uh more frustrating when you're not in the lineup uh, as re- as regularly as you would like to be but it, it's a, it's it's about the team winning and it's about uh the manager slash coaching staff uh communicating their expectations for you and saying that you know you're not going to be a 600 plate appearance guy uh you know you haven't maybe necessarily earned that off of your track record yet 
Uh, so let's try it this way and see how it goes. And it's, it's then the coaching staff having you ready on a regular basis. It's, uh, you know, knowing how to come off the bench uh, on, a, on a regular basis. It's, it's getting the proper BP. Uh, you know, some, some players prefer like harder BP throwers, uh, guys who, who are closer to a game simulation uh, the, than other coaches, just because if they're not playing regularly and not seeing harder stuff on a more consistent basis, uh, they need that practice more than than a guy who's in the lineup every day. So there's, there's a lot of things that go into that. And, and players talk often about how difficult it is to transition from being an everyday player to being an occasional player. Cano will have to go through that this year as well. Uh, but uh, there are guys who have done it successfully. Nimmo did it really successfully and then <laughs> went the other way to becoming an everyday player. Uh, and, and Dom Smith has, has been able to do that in the past uh, in, in 2019 and 2020. JD did it pretty well in 2019 as well. Uh, so that they have some experience with that. But it, it is a delicate balance that you have to walk when, when everyone, when you have more than nine regular starters to keep everyone happy with, with how often they are playing. Yeah, it's something. This is something I've I've spoken to some players about uh, over over the years. Uh, and what you tend to find is that, and you know, I think this is probably the case with with Gavin Lux, is that there's no major league baseball player who thinks he's a he's a bench guy. There's no one who thinks he shouldn't be starting starting because if you're not enormously confident in your abilities, you probably haven't made the major leagues. Also, if you've made the major leagues, um, almost necessarily you've been the best baseball player on every team you've ever played on in, in your entire life, at least until single A or double A. Um, and so that, that kind of gets, you know, built into your, to your head a little bit, I think in, in probably a way that is generally positive for professional athletes because they, they need to have that confidence. Um, I think the keys is, is for, like you said, is for communications. I think I think players want to know what's expected of them. So if you're a guy like J.D. Davis and you're hitting well and you're looking at uh, a few, you know, a few tough right-handers uh, on the docket and and it doesn't look like you're going to start the next few games, I think you like to hear from the manager, "Hey, look, you're you know, we're going to need you off the bench if they if they bring in this guy, this guy, or this guy. Um, be prepared for that situation and then know that you know, yeah, you're not going to start this weekend, but hey, Monday." They got a lefty lined up. You're our guy, so so make sure you're you're set to go and and ready for that. Yeah, I mean, I was reading. I think it was a Bill Madden story where Showalter had talked to Chris Bassett like four days in advance of his last spring training of one of his spring training starts, and be like, you know, it's scheduled to rain that night. Uh, what do you want to do? <laughs> Basically, do you want to risk, you know, getting rained out that night, or do you want to pitch in the minor league game that day? And and having that idea days in advance. Uh, is, is the kind of thing you have to do over the course of the season to see uh, not just that night ahead, but see a couple days ahead uh, in terms of the chess moves. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be something to monitor. Again, though, I think that if if there are too many guys having good seasons, and 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 it's something that you mentioned with with Gavin Lux is like even if people are upset about it, like even if even if JD Davis is only on track for 300 at bats and he's going to have a 950 OPS uh, and he has every right to think he should be playing more. It's a really, really bad look <laughs> if the team is winning and you're the guy who's like, Hey, I should be playing more. So uh, winning and, and guys performing tends to make all of these issues go away. Yeah, that, that is the, the classic good problem to have. And I think the Mets would be ecstatic if that is the problem that they have in June and July. We just got too many great hitters. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been a while since that's been the Mets issue. You know, you think back to last last June when uh, Cameron Mabin was hitting third for them. Uh, that you know they, they would take a, a bench player who's who's doing too well. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was there at, at opening day 2010 or whatever. I forget what year that was. Um, but, you know, this is, again, like too much depth is a good thing. Too much, uh, too many guys deserving playing time is a good thing. Uh, guys will get hurt. No one's hurt right now. Guys will get hurt. And they will need replacement player, uh, replacements to fill in. And having a, a deep bench and having guys who can do that and, and guys who can hit is going to make them a much better team than they have been in the past because – uh, depth has so often been an issue for them. Yeah, and and the the hope is that they've got enough of that. You know, we, we talked about it on the the podcast last week. Like they used twenty two relievers last year. They used sixteen different starters. Uh, they're going to have to dip into a lot of that depth. Uh, there's going to be some guys that that you don't know about right now that are going to be in games for the Mets. Uh, and you hope that 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 depth uh, expands not just beyond the twenty six or twenty eight men they take. Uh, to Washington, but to 40 guys and beyond the 40 man uh, over the course of the season. I am going to thank Yanni for a great question and remove Yanni from the stage. Yanni, thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, Tim, uh, I think that feels like a place where we should wrap up our first ever live podcast. Yeah. And and I only got kicked out once. So that's, that's a win for me. So you missed, you missed my, uh, my like, crazy tirade of uh, uh, my profanity laced tirade that happened while you were gone. It was deeply offensive and I don't know if I'll be back, but uh, if everyone else got kicked out, maybe, maybe we'll do this again. (laughs) And Nick Castellanos just hit a home run. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh, Jim, uh, it's, it's been real as always. I suppose we will talk sometime soon about the Mets because they're going to play real games starting next week. Yeah, we'll have a podcast previewing real, actual, meaningful baseball that will have standings and such. And uh, the, the things that I post about that, that game will not be like a, a Microsoft Word document with circles on it. It will be a real story. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. And I am looking forward to it, too. Until then, Tim, peace out. Adios. Adios.